The entire team at Emsolation want to acknowledge that we are gathered on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. We want to recognise that we are recording and telling our stories on the stolen land of our country's first storytellers. We wish to pay our respects to all Wurundjeri elders and ancestors and to extend that respect to any First Nations peoples who listen to Emsolation. We recognise Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people's continued connection to the land and waters of this country and acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded. Always was, always will be. M. I mean, if anyone is putting up anything past 1999, mean, not gay. <laughs> and Michael Lucas. My show ain't ready, and then that's it. This is M. No, he's the one of the guys that die first. Oh, I'm Katniss. <laughs> May the odds be always in your favour. You're in Emsolation. Well, hello there and welcome to Emsolation. My name is Em Rossiano. I'm a writer, a singer, a stand-up comedian, a maximalist power queen, a neurodivergent magic brain and a podcaster. And together with my best friend since I was 11, screenwriter Michael Lucas, I bring you this podcast every Thursday. Also every Tuesday and every Friday, if you are an extra subscriber, how are you? Well, Michael is currently in Italy, rubbing it in. Some of you may have seen that on Instagram. He joins us. I'm not joking. He was eating, sitting in the front seat of a car with the computer. It was such an old man vibe. (laughs) Truly giving zero Fs about the situation. But I guess he's on holiday in Italy, so I understand. Obviously, there's been some big news for he and I. A lot of you know we are meeting in New York in about six weeks' time, and the purpose of this visit was to see Madonna at Madison Square Garden in her sold-out Saturday night show, and uh, we have since learned, obviously, that that tour is cancelled. Well, postponed, but most likely we are not going to be in America when our show eventually rolls around. And it's a lot. I have to say I was flat for a couple days, and the way I found out you're going to hear Michael just really, yeah, you'll hear. It was a fairly violent way to find out. (laughs) So we chat about that. We talk about, and just like that, Sex and the City, uh, I'm finally up to date on season two. And then we somehow roll into the secret sex Olympics that I have with Scott. I don't know how we ended up there, but we did. But, you know, that is the nature of this podcast. I wanted to, the feedback for the Julia Morris part one on Emsolation Extra has been extraordinary. And tomorrow, if you're listening on Thursday, tomorrow part two will be released into the wild to all of you, available for free on every platform. If you want to hear part one, you need to be a subscriber to Emsolation Extra. But everybody's getting part two, mainly because I wanted to force her to talk about the Logies and the fact that she's up for a gold and to inspire you all to go and vote for her. She's a wonderful human, but I've been loving the feedback. I truly have. I hope you're all doing well. I hope you have something nice planned for the weekend and the week ahead. We're going to get straight in today. Play the music.
M. Luciano and Michael Lucas. This is M. Salation. Michael Lucas, as I look at you on the screen, you are sitting inside of a car. You are literally inside of a car and you were chewing. <laughs> I was. Well, you'll know, I had to get it done before the recording started, clearly. Well, where in the world are you and why are you in a car? I've seen the Airbnb. It's a fucking castle. They couldn't find a room. <laughs> oh, it's not that big. No, the problem is that people are still asleep, including my husband. And um, and it's the kind of place where if you're speaking in one part of the house and also the rooms are sort of big and echoey. I, I genuinely thought the car was the best option for the sleepers and the sound quality. Um, so that's the reason why. I'm, I'm in Italy and I'm in Gardia which is a small town in Umbria. It's not a touristy town. It's weirdly, we've come here to uh, visit Adrian's uh, sister. My husband, it's easy for people to not realise, my husband is Italian, half Italian. So we're visiting my sister and nephews. (laughs) But then we have other friends, Maria Angelico, actress and Reese Mitchell actor who were in Italy. And so we randomly pitched this Airbnb and it turns out it's heaven. And now we hate ourselves for only picking a couple of nights because if we'd known. But anyway, I will provide the details because it's actually <laughs> not even that expensive. Well, I've seen the pasta making. I mean, it feels, I can't explain why, but it feels like a betrayal of our friendship. I can't, and I, and I couldn't even give you a rational explanation, but seeing you in the hills of Italy, drinking wine and making pasta with not me, it just feels wrong. <laughs> I know. Well, my life, for a long time, you did carry the torch of the only Italian in my life. It's true. You and Vinci. (laughs) But then in quite a substantial way, it really changed. You were saying that Adrian doesn't speak a lot of Italian, but has taken on the idea that if you put on a heavy accent, that they'll get it. (laughs) Well, obviously I defer to him uh, whenever we're in supermarkets and yeah, mm. he does a lot of, um, oh, like he's got really comfortable saying, allora, which that feels like it's taking it to the next level. And then is it questo, which is that one. He does that a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. his language skills, I knew we were in trouble when we were talking about how much prosciutto I get. And I'm like, maybe a dozen slices. And he goes, oh, I can't say a dozen because I can only count to 10. <laughs> so we had to have dieci. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, he, yeah. yeah, if when all else fails, he just very confidently says English words with an Italian twist. Like when we <laughs> needed a recommendation for cheese, he goes, recommende. It's just like not even a word. But the weird thing is, it's so plausible, he goes with it. Also, <laughs> for the first time ever, I really realised gaydar's hard in Italy because mm. it's such an expressive sort of camp place. Mm-hmm. That um, Adrian fits right in, like all the men. Like in Australia, I think you can, you can, you can get the homo vibe. But in Italy, it's just all we're just all passionate about our food and our drinks, and who knows? Well, yeah, it's the famous song from Legally Blonde the musical. Is he gay or European? And that's truly applause. <laughs> truly, <laughs> truly. <laughs> and if he's both, heaven, fantastic. Well, mm. fine. I wish you well, and um, you know. Yeah, good. <laughs> We're going to Paris soon as well. You've got to brace for all the little little oh. couple of day trips that we're doing. There'll be Paris, there'll be Scotland, there'll be Iceland. No, this will be the worst one, surely. Would it? Ah, oh, yeah, great, fine. No, well, whatever. Moving on. I received one of the most distressing text messages and 
You were so brutal about it. And I just wake up to this Madonna unresponsive in ICU from you. And I'm like, what? This is how he's telling me mother is dead? What the fuck? <laughs> I think I just wasn't I, the text unicorn of death. That's all I wrote. And then the link. Yes. Yes. And I was just like, and because I just opened my eyes and usually, as we have previously discussed, I only re- usually wake up to celebrity dick pics um, <laughs> and occasionally a death. <laughs> it is. Although I feel like Madonna would enjoy being in that company. Yeah. And she, then I start to kind of clear my eyes. I click through and then my phone just starts exploding. Truly, so many DMs, so many people concerned, welfare checks being done on me because mm. Madonna's been rushed to hospital, to ICU, unresponsive, terrible raging fever, vomiting uncontrollably. Guy O'Siri, her manager says, tour postponed, probably cancelled. And part of me was like, oh, God, I hope she's okay and the other part was like, fuck, I'm flying to New York specifically <laughs> to see a show. <laughs> yes, and it's a complex reaction. <laughs> so when did you get the information? Did, was this, did you get it, like, did you have to hold off texting me because you knew it was the middle of the night and you know I keep my phone on or what happened? No, I thought I texted you pretty much as it happened. But I remember it, it was early morning your time. Mm. I was working in a cafe trying to focus on my script as you do. And so of course mm. I just started flipping through Instagram or something and I saw, um, some stuff. I saw Guy Aziri's like little statement and then I Googled and then I got the, <sighs> I got the story and then sent it straight to you. Yes. It, well, because you had been, it's... you had, you'd been having a feeling in your waters. Mm, truly. Whatever, wherever the feeling comes to you. You had been quite vocal <laughs> about your doubt about Madge. And I was firm, like, she'll be fine, she'll be fine, we'll get there, we'll get there. And I'm still not completely rolling over, but, I mean, you know. <laughs> I always felt this weird disconnect from the night. Like, I've been protecting myself from the fact that I did deep down believe it may not go ahead because it's such an ambush- ambitious tour. Mm. And she's 64 and it's like I know the pressure she would have been putting on herself to get into ripping Nick because she doesn't want anyone to not really think of her as an old person, but mm. she's not. And I imagine Taylor Swift is on tour and Pink's flinging across stadiums on trapezes. Beyonce's coming out on Mad Max disco ponies dancing nonstop. And I feel like, you know, Madonna is relentless and ambitious and I just think... And from everything I've read, all the sources, you know, that are now speaking, she was driving herself into the ground. And I even read some people saying that a couple of her closest circle, I'm assuming her daughter, they said, we don't want another Michael Jackson situation. Yes. Remember, like, he was about to go out on that huge world tour. And the This Is people... It tour or something, wasn't it mm. called? Mm. Yeah. So... I've also had a couple friends of mine who are mad keen Madonna fans say to me, I think that they've conflated it. I think that it's not as bad as it seems because she wanted more time. Mm. Do you think there's a chance that this is for publicity? <laughs> Maybe I'm always inclined to think the best of the Queen. But um, no, because, well, I think that she's cancelled to not cancelled, but she's postponed persistently with tours. Like the last tour, Madame X postponed at the start, and then she had to have a break in the middle because of injuries and everything like that. 
So she's never previously had to concoct something or conflate something. She's always just been able to do the good old Adele style, my show ain't ready, and then that's it. <laughs> um, so my instinct is no, but I, I mean, I, I guess I could imagine that, I don't know, that they've... But I, I feel like the statements they gave weren't even particularly that dramatic. Like, it was more dramatic. He, The manager did not put found unresponsive. That was in the news press. That made it so much worse. Like, Madonna has a bacterial infection and gone to hospital, I mean, you know, found unresponsive and put on intubated. <laughs> that's, that's much worse. Yeah. So, I don't know. I mean, I suspect it's probably real. I mean, she has been off Instagram for a long time now and we know she loves a post, so something's going No, I I genuinely don't think she's faking. And you know, I love a conspiracy theory. You love it. I just notice every time someone writes about it, they put everything in inverted commas, you know, like um, bacterial infection as though it's mm. not fact, yeah. as though it's a hearsay or conjecture around that idea. But I just can't imagine she's such a workaholic and she sold so many shows, but a lot of people at um, you know, I've been obviously like cruising the message boards and doing the reddits and just trying to just get all the information because you know I love it. A lot of people feel like she just overcommitted. Mm. Like the the run, anyone even half her age would would battle to complete what she committed to. Seventy shows. Mm. That's nuts. Mm. That's a big touring schedule. So I don't know. I just. Do you genuinely think there's still a chance that we could see her at Madison Square Garden? If I'm honest, not really. I think I've accepted it. I mean, in the early days, uh, I thought that maybe clearly like the Canadian portion or whatever would be gone and then but maybe she would really look to Madison Square Garden as, you know, I have to make those yes. Those are my hardcore. That's my home. That's, you know, that's really where I want to blitz it. So I... And there's still a little flicker of that in me that maybe that could happen, but I don't know. Found unresponsive. <laughs> Jesus. But not I only just... that, she would never kick off in New York. Everybody knows you kick off mm. somewhere where it isn't as important so you can iron out mm. any mistakes or tech glitches so by the time you hit the big, big markets, you're perfect. And I just can't see her debuting in New York. I just. Yeah. So what are we going to do instead? Is my next question. <laughs> <laughs> On the Saturday night. I mean, there's absolutely no shortage of shows and entertainments and things that we can see, but do you think it needs to be something Madonna-related? Well, I feel like we need to somehow gather as many of the elder gay men, our elders, who were going. I wish there was a Facebook group or something that we could find people who had tickets for that night, and perhaps a lot of us could gather somewhere. We need the equivalent, the old gay man's equivalent of, you know, the people that miss out on Taylor tickets yes. and they create the, the car park party. We need that Agreed. for Madison Square Garden people. Or what if we just made an agreement that we all met at Madison Square Garden in the car park and just hang out? And surely <laughs> yeah. we could get some drag queens in there. Like I feel like maybe I could suggest this in a few places. I want to go to a, a Madonna-themed party that night. Yeah. That's what I want to do. Maybe we could throw one. <laughs> <laughs> Look. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> you just you, I feel like you've conceptualized your outfit and you do not want to let it go to waste. And fair enough. I know, but it's fine. It is going to waste. But what I wanted to do is I know that Madge is obviously a keen M Selena. Oh, constant. Yeah, and we and we love you. And I wanted to read a letter aloud. A, a few years ago, 2018, in fact, I was asked to write the letter I wish I'd written to a person I never got to write it to. 
And most people picked like dead beloved relatives and but I picked Madonna because I wanted to let her know that she was in fact my biological mother. Mm. Um so I'm going to read that out. And spiritual. Yeah. So this is my letter and I just Madge I just I know this is going to bring you great health and speedy recovery. <laughs> <laughs> to my real mother. Even though we've never met, your influence has permeated and directed my every move since I became aware that you were, in fact, my mum. When I saw you standing naked except for a pair of sky-high stilettos and a cigarette dangling between your crimson lips on your girly show tour poster, the day I realised who you truly were, I knew that from afar you would ensure my path in life by setting a sterling example in your own. Today I wish to thank you, Madonna Louise Veronica Ciccone, for helping me to become the woman I am today. Darling mother, while there is no biological proof of our connection, in my heart I know that in 1978 you made a secret trip to Australia where you met and fell in love with a small, wiry Italian guitarist named Rocco Vincenzo. You had a wild one-night stand in a seedy motel room and then nine months later gave birth to me in a public toilet. Not knowing what to do and with no one to turn to, you left me wrapped in a studded fringed leather jacket on Dad's doorstep. You then ran away to New York to pursue your dreams, never to be heard from again. Dad and I have never actually spoken about this. However, I can tell by looking into his eyes that that's exactly what happened. In 1980, you joined a punk rock band called Emmy, which is what my family call me. You also named your firstborn son Rocco as tribute and homage to your first great love. In my mind, this is proof enough. Mother Madonna, you were the first outspoken, short-haired, muscular Italian woman that I had ever encountered. You were just like me, only you touched your vag in public way more than I did. You're fierce, unapologetic, and you never gave a fuck about what other people thought of you. When I was 10, you released Like a Prayer, and that song changed everything. It also resulted in me setting fire to the lounge room when I attempted to recreate your burning crucifix scene from the video clip. My other mama was extremely upset, but I knew that you would have approved of the green shag pile carpet being sacrificed for art. You've taught me how to reinvent myself, how to say up yours to anyone who dares call you irrelevant. And now in your 60s, perhaps unbeknownst to you, you are pioneering how women are traditionally meant to age. When I was a kid and my grandma was your age, she baked for the CWA and had a tight blue perm. I loved her like crazy, but I think your version of 60 is my true genetic calling. You're not ageing disgracefully as some people accuse you of. When they say it's time to put it away, love, and tell you to dress your age, you don't. But who decided that at a certain point, women have to turn into Mrs. Claus? Not you, mother. Not you. Thank you for showing me that it's okay to be both a devoted mum and on a podium surrounded by gay men drenched in glitter. That I can remain fiercely myself and still raise impressive offspring. That women can be powerful, sexy, and in control at every age. Thank you for maintaining the rage, you magnificent bitch. Here is to the next 60 years and to our eventual emotional reunion. Yours in loyalty, Lycra and love, M. Oh, so moving. <sighs> so I'm moving. sure that will bring her a lot of healing. <laughs> hey, you know what? I'm not to be morbid about it, 
But one thing that's been interesting about this is, like, it has been in some ways, like, we've got a little glimpse of a tiny fraction of the reaction of when that God forbid day comes, when Madonna Don't. finally leaves. It's not that she will. But I remember there's that famous interview from the 90s when she's being asked about all the criticism and then she goes, yeah, when I'm dead, they'll kiss my ass. And based on the, I mean, I know there's a lot of gross things that's been written about this and a lot of like horrible speculation and everything like that, but it's been wild how many think pieces have come out that have been basically like, she invented culture. She was like, it's crazy. So beneath the relentless hatred that she gets all the time, there is still this bedrock, Mm. which is probably was reflected in the ticket sales of people that are, you know, still obsessed and reverent. And I feel, and I know she's at the age now where every news outlet has the death package ready to go. Oh, 100%. They've got all, yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't know. It's a multimedia package for her. I, and I just want, like, I want to make sure you are in charge of mine when it gets made. And I know her, surely, I feel like she would have sent it out I feel like Madonna would have provided that for people. Upon my death, please give this uh, USB slash file to every news outlet because this is how I want my life to be recalled <laughs> because she will not be able to control the montage, the death montage. She wants to have every other thing under her control, but you cannot control the death montage and the pictures they choose because some of the pictures that got out there when she was in hospital were quite frankly hateful and homophobic. Mm, they, mm. Were, they, they, were, they were not flattering. Some of the mastheads chose all... Awful lead pictures. Terrible. I know. I mean, if anyone is putting up anything past 1999, mean, not gay. <laughs> so I just, I didn't learn about death montages until I worked at the project. And then I found out like Elton John's got one on file. They've got one for John Farnham on file. The Queen obviously had been gone. And they just updated every few months or so. Yeah. Isn't that wild? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Oh, in the case of the Queen, all the ABC staff were had to do a workshop once a year to run through it all. Really? But then at the end of the day, it finally happened and the consensus was that they went overboard. <laughs> they did too much and maybe it was the decades of training that they had. <laughs> it was their Olympics and they fell over at the finish line. I would just tell any uh, broadcasters, God forbid we get there with Madonna, but there is no overboard. I will take 24-7 coverage for days. I think you and I have to be in agreement on that we're going to have to take the day off work. What? Wherever we are, you can't be. Clearly. I mean, we're going to have to just lock ourselves with the blinds down at least 24 hours watching YouTubes. I think so. I remember Rage sometimes used to have the Madonna um, special where they would play all of her um, video clips in order from beginning to end, like it would take a whole night. I feel like that's what that's how you've got to commune with it. But maybe starting at the present day and counting back, going back to the source. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Well, we wish you a speedy recovery, recovery uh, Madge. And um, I don't know. I, I'm. I don't. I don't think the tour is going ahead. I just don't. I feel like it's going to because if you postpone a tour, you don't have to pay the money, like you don't have to pay the rent Mm. for the building. Mm. Like if you cancel, you still have to pay the rent for every single arena and building Mm. for that Mm. night's fee. Mm. So you announce postpone, postpone, postpone. We'll see. We'll see. Celine Dion postponed for nearly two years and then finally had to cancel because she's got the stiff man syndrome. So Yeah. It's Emsolation Extra. Haven't subscribed to Emsolation Extra yet? Here's what you've missed out on this week. Here we go. First question comes from Michelle. Michael Lucas, newsreader release dates, Bill. 
Nice try. Come on. No. Season two, everybody wants to know. I know, it's killing me. The only thing that I I can't, I mean, I know it. I can't say what it is. I mean, I know Um, it. But... (laughs) Yeah, it it does kill me, I know. And all I can say is I share, it's agony. It's finished. I just want it out. This one is from Dan. Uh, Daniel Garnier. It's a Madonna-related question. Which Madonna backup singer is your favourite, Donna or Nikki? Why? Oh! (sighs) Gosh, that's hard. But, I mean, I'm instantly going to Nikki. Just because she sang in Like a Prayer when they did a lot of the live versions, she does the big gospel thing. So how can you go past it? Obviously, Donna stuck with her longer. Something happened. We still don't know what happened between Mm -hmm. Madonna and Nikki. Mm -hmm. Something went wrong. Mm -hmm. They never talk about it. But, yeah, I'm I'm a Nikki stand. This one's from Alexandra. I loved Heartbreak High, devoured it. But what the fuck? Please tell me high school isn't like that now. Do I seriously have to panic that my kids are going to be sleeping with every boy girl they come into one millimetre of? Or if not sleeping with them, belittling them and bullying them? I know as a parent I have to teach them right from wrong, but please tell me this isn't the standard. Ta, panicked mum. This isn't the standard, and but I mean, I, it's a th- it's an interesting thing now. I've read quite a bit about this that we've entered an era because we're much more liberal about what we put in our TV screens, where teen dramas have got much sexier, and Heartbreak Eye has nothing on Euphoria. But the weird reality is, statistically, on every front, younger people are like, and by that I mean teens and everyone like that, are having far less sex than they were in the nineties. It's actually a lot more chaste than it used to be. And yet, if you looked at our TV shows, you would think it was orgies all the time. Incorrect. Incorrect? What do you mean? For all of that and so much more, subscribe now at msalation.supercast.com. It's Emsalation Extra. M. Rossiano and Michael Lucas. This is Emsalation. I am now up to date on And Just Like That Season (sighs) 2. You don't move on because you're ready to. You move on because you've outgrown who you used to be. I've repurposed my kitchen. Did you know stoves aren't just for storage? Welcome. I have so many questions, but the main takeaway for me is that they've just given up and they're just making Dumb, sugary, frivolous telly. I think season one, they obviously had the legacy pressure and they were trying to have big, meaty storylines and tick all the boxes for cultural diversity and sexual diversity and that would, you know, they were trying to be everything to everyone and ended up being nothing to no one. Mm. And season two feels like they've gone, nah, fuck it. Well, let's just, mm. let's just like, I don't know. <laughs> Let's yeah. just see what happens. Well, season one began with this <laughs> massive event, which gave you some momentum. Season two doesn't begin with any of that. Instead, it begins with Carrie having an affair with the podcast producer who appears to have no character that I can discern. Like, if you ask me to say, <laughs> what are his characteristics, what would you say? Hot grey hair. Um, it- how dare you? He watches cooking shows for fun, even though he doesn't cook. Why do you like cooking shows? No idea. Do you cook? Nope. Hmm. Just watch the shows. Yep. (laughs) Okay, sure. He exits stage left a couple of episodes in and it was the least dramatic exit. It was just basically like, yeah, um, yeah, that's it. But that was great. Bye. (laughs) It's just that, you know, in the past I've taken, Carrie is the least passionate 
least involved. It's like she's a spectator on her life. Mm. It's like she truly gives zero fucks. She could be here nor there. And, and <laughs> she's the narrator. The one quite note. Literally. I couldn't help but wonder. <laughs> but I just, the thing that got me in like her entire podcast network folded because she wouldn't do an ad about uh, vaginas, something to do with her vagina. I'm pregnant, I have to pee, and I only have a minute. Why won't you talk about your vagina? Oh, for so many reasons. And to be clear, it's not my vagina, it's everyone's vagina. Mm-hmm. And so essentially the money that would have come from that, this is how it was put across. Podcast ads do not pay that much, so I don't know how they were functioning. But the whole thing got shut down, Sex in the City, the podcast, the entire building was sold to Apple. Mm. And what? And then I'm sitting there going, why wouldn't she do the ad? You're Carrie Bradshaw. You wrote a column about the adventures of your vagina in New York. Seriously. There are many inconsistencies like that. I know, it's weird. Why are you suddenly drawing the line there and an ad read? And then, of course, Miranda. I mean, people are just globally up in arms about the way that that character seems to have completely transformed and lost any spine or sense or ability to navigate any situation. Why is she a doddering 90-year-old woman having her eat, pray, love fantasy in California? It is the strangest. She was a corporate hard-edged lawyer. Yeah. And now she's wandering around in cowboy boots on the beach picking up seaweed and doesn't know how to use a phone. And also this has really troubled us. She was doing beach environmental cleanup, but it it seemed to us like they weren't picking up trash. They were just putting the seaweed in the bags. But the seaweed is a part of the nature. I don't understand what was happening. Is that what they do? (laughs) I don't know. It's weird. Like, was she going to go in and cart a dolphin out and put that in one of the boxes as well? It It was strange. (laughs) Are you going to make it, do you think? Are you going to see it through to the end? Yes. The energy that I am drawing from the hate watching is really balancing it out. But I also just, it's like an old friend. It's an old habit, you know, like. I, I like to sit with mm. her and chat with her and, yeah, she's annoying and a bit irrelevant, but I still, I don't know, I still want to watch it and see what happens and obviously I'm dying to see the final episode with Kim Cattrall and her two-second cameo worth $80 million. Yes, yes, of course. Did you see her? She was on some talk show and um, she said, they said, oh, we know you can't say too much. And she says, well, it's very interesting to get a call from the head of HBO yeah. saying, what can we do? And I went, hmm, <laughs> <laughs> let me get creative. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not as much of a Shay hater as everyone else is. Well, that's because she's... For me, Shay is by far the least <laughs> appalling aspect of the show. I agree. It's like this entire season's just been a vehicle to rehabilitate the character of Shay by making everyone else insufferable. <laughs> Point made. <laughs> All right. Well, Michael Lucas, okay. last week we had a mailbag letter and we solved a problem and mm-hmm. it seems people are wanting more of it. Yes. Now, this one comes from a... An- God help them. <laughs> well, I just want to say we are not trained professionals, although I think your advice is quite sound. Weirdly enough, it's because I've done so much therapy. Here we go. This is from Anonymous. Hi, Em and Michael. To cut a long story short, COVID made my world collapse and I had a massive meltdown. I've since been diagnosed with autism and ADHD. Well, I'll see you. Anyway, during my meltdown, 
I had an affair with a colleague, 11 years my junior. Whoa. And it was honestly the best sex and fun time of my life. Mm. I separated from my husband for six months and lived alone for the first time. I was, am, insanely attracted to this person I had the affair with. Even once I moved back home, I continued to talk with him. He has since decided to no longer have contact with me. He wished me a happy birthday earlier in the year and that was it. Never to be heard from again, I genuinely considered leaving my husband for him. Wow. How do I get past this? I love my husband, but after nearly 20 years together, it's all very predictable and boring, especially with two neurodivergent kids. How do I get over it and move on? I've had no closure, which is why I think I'm struggling so much. Any advice is appreciated. Goodness. Wow. I want to know whether the husband knew about the affair or whether it was just a separation and then it's quietly on the side. Sounds like just a separation. I'm, and then she had the affair without his knowledge. No, I'm taking it as she had the affair while they were together. Right, and then that drove the separation. Yes. Yeah, but did she tell the husband? I don't think so. Absolutely not. No, okay, right. So husband has no knowledge. No, husband has no knowledge. She's living with it, but and inside her mind she has this unrequited kind of lust fire happening, right? So anything with her husband compared to that is going to pale. It's going to seem small and insignificant because an illicit sexual affair is, you know, fuck, every movie and TV show, like we that feeling of electricity. I know, a, compelling. Compared to a 20-year marriage, what would you advise? Oh, God, this is, this is a really, this has me stumped. Mm. I mean, the horrendous thing is, I don't know, there's a big part of me that thinks if you do love your husband and they're a good dad and everything like that and the situation's good, is there no way you can say, well, at least I got that time in the sun and hold on to that and continue with the marriage? That is so unremarkable, uh, unpassionate and unexciting in a way, but in some ways I feel like practically isn't maybe that the best thing to do? I mean, the alternative, breaking up with your husband's not going to get you back with this younger dude, clearly. Um, and you might not find anyone else. It just might completely complicate your, I don't, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty stumped, but Mm. I feel like, I also want to know how old the kids are. (laughs) Like how, how, how much longer are you locked into this family situation? I don't know. What would you do? Well, it's so tough. I mean, yeah, I hear what you're saying. She got young peen. She reignit she re mm. like ignited her insides. Essentially it happened without it causing too much collateral damage, except for her internally, there's a bit of a war going on. But the, there are two mm. questions I would ask is can you live with the internal war? And number two, mm. what would you do without fear? So what decision would you make if all fear could be scraped out of your body? What would be the thing you would do? Because if your answer is leave my husband, regardless of the young man, then I think you have your answer. But if your answer is, if, if, if it's not a clear, I want to leave, then I think, you know, every marriage, I've been with Scott 22 years, we've had a couple separations, 
Sometimes it's boring. Sometimes it isn't. Long-term relationships go through phases and lockdown especially puts so much pressure on long-term relationships. So it's completely normal that you found it boring and mundane and all of the things that you've said. But also if you're recently diagnosed, you'll be reassessing who you are in a relationship and how you show up and how the other person shows up for you. So my advice is couples therapy Mm. and you with a mediator lay out that you're bored that you don't feel the spark anymore, that you need more for yourself, that you've changed as a person and you need them perhaps to view you in a different light and with a different lens. But this is, there's no easy answer and this is sticky and hard and big and the stuff, the real stuff of life is. And I think a lot of women are in scenarios where they're in marriages where perhaps things have died off and they feel stuck and there's no other option, but eh, it's too hard to leave. But I think if you Mm. go to counselling and it's still not working for you, then I think you know the answer. And I think perhaps that's to remove yourself from the marriage for a bit or permanently. (sighs) Sounds like sound advice. (laughs) And if you want to do the counselling live on Emsolation, we are open to that. (laughs) I mean, you never fight with Adrian, so you don't. Do you ever feel bored in your marriage? No, you don't, do you? It's hard to ask me that question when I'm sitting here in Italy about to go visit his extended family. <laughs> okay. Well, all right. When was the last time you kissed Adrian, like, passionately on the lips? Well, what, like, last night? Last night. I mean, well, also we're on holiday now, so there's there's a lot of making out. Yeah. Regularly. But this is always freaky when I speak to my straight friends because I suddenly realise how often, like how rare lots of physical affection is with them. But yes, we're we're not in that circumstance. In fact, it's a feature of our relationship that you just, you shouldn't let the day go by without some committed (laughs) Oh my God. It's true. true. Ask me. Ask me. Go on. Ask me. I, well, okay, all right. When was the last time you kissed Scott passionately on the lips? <laughs> I think. <laughs> was it this year? Maybe this year. I would say maybe June-ish. But here's the reason why. Scott can't breathe through his nose. So he, when I, when I go to kiss him, <laughs> when I go he has to, to like him. suck in the air through his mouth. So, it's like kiss him. Yes. So like when I decide, because every day I wake up and Scott's, as I've spoken about on stage, I don't know if I've spoken about in the podcast, but every day my husband enters into the competition. He's unaware. He's in the oh. secret sex trials. Oh. Okay. Now, the secret sex trials are every day Scott wakes up with a 100% chance of getting sex. Like he's definitely going to get it. And then as the day goes by, he does certain things that just knock off the percentage that he's going to get me naked by the end of the night. And he rarely wins the secret sex trials. They are tough and hard. But every now and then I'll look at him at 9 o'clock and be like, "Mm, you haven't pissed me off too much today. All right, mate. And so I'll lean in for a kiss And he sees it's happening. So he goes, (coughs) and he wipes his nose and he like prepares the area. And I'm halfway there and I'm like, nah, I can't, I can't, mate. I'm sorry. Oh. And then if we do get to the kiss, 
when we break away from the kiss, it's like... (laughs) 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 It's like he's run a fucking marathon. So it's like... It's just... Mate, oh, that's that's very sad. So... Maybe you just need to be kissing a different part of his body. (laughs) Hi, gay. But also, I don't think that's true. I'm, I'd am i wager that sometimes you wake up and there is not a full 100% chance you will have sex with your husband that day. Sometimes I think from your first consciousness when you're under your weighted blanket, you know, or when you have to go up and deal with Elio, it's at best a 70% <laughs> chance right from the get-go. Yeah, but you've got to understand. That's generous. <laughs> you've got to understand. Like, the trials are tough. Like, he might just clear his throat one too many times, knock a point off. He may... Slam the cover door a little. Too too loudly. Yeah. I mean, oh. I've been there. I've watched my own chances go through the floor. <laughs> Ten points gone. You know what I mean? Like I, mm. I'll find his shaver hairs in the sink. Ah, oh, twenty points off. It's really, it's it's the most difficult. It's the Hunger Games. It is the Hunger Games essentially. Is and he Games. is Katniss Everdeen. No, he's the one of the guys that die first. Oh, I'm Katniss. <laughs> <laughs> May the odds be always in your favour. <laughs> I don't like. I uh, and then they're just beheaded. Look, I certainly don't recommend weaponizing sex, and it's not something I consciously like. I don't have a score. I don't. I don't have a notebook that has secret sex games on the front cover with like a ledger. But just in my mind, I'm aware that it's happening, and I'm not weaponizing the sex. But he doesn't even know that he's lost. It's not like I go up to him every day and no, shake. Well, that's yeah. that's good. So he doesn't have competition anxiety. At least you're sparing no. him that, but you're also sparing him the sex. So yes, yeah. <laughs> a bit of a trade off. He doesn't know he's competing. He has no idea. But sometimes, mm. and it's happened last couple of months, he's passed the trial, and I say to him, "All right, let's go." And he looks at me and he's like, really? And I'm like, yeah, you passed. And he has no idea what I mean and he doesn't question it. <laughs> mm. <laughs> well, I think he's probably, that's like, I mean, that's like the starving man crawling towards the oasis in the desert. And then if someone's there asking him a couple of questions, he just thinks, just get me to the water, all right? Just get me there. I'm pretty sure that's what that would be like. <laughs> my poor husband. I love him very much. He's very attractive and he's very good at the end result when he's allowed to do it. I'm just a bit off it. I'm just angry. Yeah. I'm perimenopausal. Don't want it. Okay. Well, enjoy your day in Italy, you shithead. And um, inching ever closer, I'm 40-odd days out from seeing you again. So exciting. So exciting. I mean, will Madonna be part of the experience? Who knows? She will be in some way or another, whether she's present or not. We'll go hang out in front of her house in New York. I know where it is. All right. Have a good day. (laughs) Terrifying. (laughs) Goodbye. This is Emsolation. Well, that's it. As I speak to you, I'm... I'm really anxious. I'm about to head off to the dentist. My wisdom teeth have started erupting through, like, the side of my gum and my cheek. And it's painful and I have a headache and I don't, I, I, I know nobody loves the dentist. No one says, oh, God, I love the dentist so much. Please, can I go every day? But when I was really little, like four or five, I had to go into a dental hospital and have like six fillings put into my European teeth because apparently European teeth have wide grooves and have a much higher percentage of a chance of developing cavities and holes. So they didn't tell me what was going on. Just my mouth was attacked and I woke up in so much pain and I was allowed jelly and ice cream. But ever since then, 
I've avoided the dentist like the plague, which I also now know is a neurodivergent thing, but I cannot deny what is happening in my face and I don't want to be in America and have something explode in my jaw. So I'm heading off to the dentist as soon as I finish here with you now and I just want to cancel it so badly. You don't understand the compulsion to call because you know the relief when you're able to move something or something gets cancelled that you really, really didn't want to go to, but that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to the dentist and I feel like it's a massive accomplishment and you should be like, because you remember my tooth fell out like just when I was filming and I've never got it replaced because I couldn't go back because when they got the like the rest of it out, they were digging around in my gum and it was, oh God, it's not good. Anyway. Oh, hey, it's me just dropping in on me. Guess what happened? The greatest thing ever. The dentist called me and said their chair or something had to be fixed and go in for repairs because it had broken. So they therefore could not see me this afternoon and they had to reschedule me for Saturday. Oh, I feel like I feel like I got out of my execution. Like if the governor called and said, ah, pop, pop, pop. do not put that woman in the chair today. Literally. So, <laughs> so I felt so good. It's fine. I won't start feeling dread about Saturday until Friday night. So tonight, I'm sweet as. All right, that's it. Don't forget tomorrow my chat with Julia Morris is hitting the Public Airways Part 2. If you want to hear Part 1, you must be a subscriber to Emsolation Extra. Go to emsolation.supercast.com for all the info. But Part 2 is available to everybody, even if you're not a subscriber, on all platforms. I wanted her to talk about the Logies and and remind you all to vote. And we talk about perimenopause and menopause, which doesn't often happen. She's on the other side. I'm at the beginning. And I loved hearing her perspective on it because more of us need to be talking about the rage, which her and I do. Have a wonderful weekend or week ahead, depending on when you're listening. Don't forget to check your inbox for our newsletter if you are a pen pal. And I will let you know we now have good for her tea towels. Good for her. It's the tea towel you can hear. Good for her. Every time you look at it, you're going to hear good for her. They're now on sale in our merch shop. We also have zip-up hoodies available, which is so good for those of you who have sensory issues with the hoods around your neck. When I say those of you, I mean myself. And we also have 4XL and 5XL sizes now available. That's all from me. Have a wonderful weekend and week ahead. Bye. Like what you heard and want more? Emsolation is a totally independent neurodivergent female-led podcast, which you can help support by subscribing to Emsolation Extra. Get exclusive bonus episodes every Tuesday, question time with Em and Michael, pre-show meetings, videos of the podcast recording, pre-sale access to live events and discount merch, a weekly newsletter and so much more. Help us by subscribing now or gift a subscription to someone you love at emsolation.supercast.com or get the link via Emsolation Socials. Emsolation with M. Rossiano is recorded at Down the Hill Studios. Hosted by M. Rossiano with Michael Lucas. Executive produced by Benjamin Wosley. Produced by M. Rossiano. Edited by Ezekiel Fenn. Socials by M. Rossiano, Benjamin Wosley and Marcella Rossiano Barrow. With assistance from Jem Evans and Georgia Watts. With videos by James Henderson. Follow us on Instagram at Emsolation Podcast and join 
enjoyed other Emsolators at the Emsolation Group on Facebook? The answer is Harry Styles. Please take the time to share this podcast with a friend. Give us a five-star rating and make sure you're following us on whatever podcast app you use by hitting the follow button. Thanks for listening and we can't wait to chat with you again soon. Solve a mystery.